0: Okay, well, open your Bibles to James chapter 1 and about verse 22. Let's start there. And I'm going to back up a little bit and read some, but I will have the, uh, the verses on the wall for you, make it a little easier, and we're just going to jump right into this. Uh, and I, last Sunday, I had mentioned uh, in the announcements about, well, this verse, actually, about being doers of the word, not hearers only. And I said we'd talk about it more uh, today, and so we are. Uh, let's look at James chapter 1, and I'm, I'm going to start with verse 19, but you'll be there at 22. I'll meet you there. Verse 19, it says, uh, James 1.19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of of wickedness and humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls verse 22 but prove yourselves doers prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves so that is a powerful passage right here to prove yourselves doers of the word not merely hearers who delude themselves and that's what we're looking at tonight tonight avoiding spiritual complacency And when we look at this this verse here, prove yourselves, which is, in the Greek, is ginomai. It's ginomai, and it means to become, to begin to be. When we started following the Lord, we were changed, and a new life began. We began living a new way. We were new creations, amen? So here he's saying, uh, James, is, but prove yourselves doers, ginomai, become, to begin to be. Begin to be. Uh, Doers. Doers, that word, poietes. Poietes means one who obeys. One who obeys. So let's be, we begin to be one, one who obeys the Lord. When we surrender to God, our lives change and now we're following him, we're obedient to him and we become doers. Doers is speaking of, in the sense of the the whole person, the inner person, if you will, the mind, the soul, the spirit. It's speaking of the emotions. It's it's speaking of the person. Not necessarily what they do, but rather who they are, who we are. And so we're looking at who we are and who we should be. Um, Being doers, it was Jesus who said, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, when he speaks about the ones who hears his words and applies them, or specifically he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a, man, a wise man. And he goes on to speak about building the house on the rock and the sand. And so Jesus is speaking of being someone who, is, who hears this word but is a doer, does them, applies them to their life. Not hearers only, hearers, this word here and hearers, it, it, speak of a, it, it speaks of it, the picture of passively listening to someone sing or speak. That's what it, it's giving us the picture of in the Greek. Listening passively, listening to someone sing or speak. And today it's often compared to auditing a college class. You know, you're required to be there. You need to be there to supposedly listen. And that's all that's required of you. There's no exam. There's no report. There's no expectation. You're just there to hear, to listen, to show up. And so you could see the picture of what we don't want to be, just a hearer, just to show up with no expectations. There's great expectations for us to represent Christ well, to live for him, to be obedient, as we've seen it goes on to say and not merely hearers who delude themselves delude paralogizomai is the greek word and it means to be to be deceived by false reasoning to reckon wrong to mathematically speaking the word means to miscalculate so we're to be here be doers of the word not merely hearers who delude themselves if you're just a hearer you will have you will miscalculate a lot of things that are being preached on Sunday mornings. When you read the scriptures or someone's teaching you, let's say, there's a lot of miscalculations that can take place. We can delude ourselves in great, horrible ways in our lives. We can become even spiritually lazy as a result. And there's emotions that can take place and how we respond to what we're hearing. But to make a miscalculation. How many of you have been either building something at home, fixing something at home, and you measured once, right? And you didn't measure twice, and you cut, and then you go back, and you're, I'm three inches short. How how did this take place? Well, because you forgot to use the extra part of whatever you're using to measure, and you you make a mistake because you miscalculated. So we don't want to be people who just hear and just like we're listening to someone sing. We want to be surrendered to hear the word and hear the word, and like Jesus said, to apply it. To hear the one that hears the word, like a wise man who applies these, th- <clears throat> these things to their, to their lives. So, one way that we can become complacent, and this is one thing that, that could take place um, because we miscalculate is when someone gets saved. They're newly saved, and they make a miscalculation. They don't realize, let's say, what they got into. They didn't count the cost. And then there's times that things that come up in their lives, they're challenged, and they walk away. They don't receive it. They don't grow. They don't surrender. Like the the new convert, let's say, who burns out because they've made the change, and they're ready to obey, and they go forward so fast, they find themselves running on empty too soon. And even questioning, is this even worth it? This decision for Christ, I'm losing my friends, I'm, this is happening, this is happening. There's a lot of things that get in the way when there's a decision for Christ. A lot of peer pressure and so on. Because you miscalculated. Maybe you weren't prepared or someone didn't prepare you. You know, I've shared this, this story probably a few times of my son Jonathan when he was a little guy, when he started uh, track as a little boy. Carol, how old was he when he started track? Any idea? Maybe seven? And so Johnny, you know, he's always been in some sports, and whenever i sign him up, I would tell him, hey, listen, you know, of course, listen to the coach, and most of the time I was his coach, but I also listen to your dad. Uh, I would explain him, you know, this is going to happen. Don't be afraid when this happens, and go for it and do this, and prepare yourself for this, and whether you're hitting the ball or hitting someone or, or passing the ball, or whatever it is. So he signs up for track, and I'm excited. He's excited, and I guess he was kind of excited. So he gets down there. I'm in the bleachers, and, and he's down there with his guys down there. First day, they line him up, and I think they're going to run a lap around a you know, high school field. And then go, and they're running, and Johnny, always trying to excel, he's in the lead. And he's going full pace. He's sprinting around that. And you know what's going to happen to this poor little guy who just started off sprinting. He starts to burn out halfway, and I start to realize, oh no, I didn't warn him, I didn't prepare him, I didn't get him ready to say, Johnny, pace yourself, because you'll burn yourself out. My heart broke for my son that day as I saw him fall behind the pack, fall behind the pack. And what came through my mind was, he's gonna be discouraged, I can't do this, this isn't worth it, what am I doing here? I, did, I failed to prepare him. So we don't want to make a miscalculation. I think of this, of Johnny, like a new believer, someone who's out the gate, and they're heading fast, and they're full steam ahead, and there's no one to help them, to pace them, to help them pace themselves. So someone who is newly saved, when it comes to being a doer uh, and not a hearer only, they, they can give up because they miscalculate, but there is a sense of there needs to be a pace. We need to pace ourselves. We need to pace someone and help them. And I don't mean compromising their faith or their zeal, their excitement for the Lord. I mean helping them to pace and giving them understanding of what to expect. In other words, counting the cost as they go forward. Otherwise, they can say, you know what? I like this much, not the whole thing, and I'm going to stay right here. And then there's complacency kicks in. They kind of spiritually plateau. So we have to be spiritually proactive. We have to be prepared. It's a must. We must become. We must be doers of the word. We must become this. And so being proactive is key in our faith so that we don't uh, become complacent. The word proactive means this. Here's the, uh, the definition. Acting in advance to deal with an unexpected difficulty or change. So it's like controlling a situation by causing something to happen rather than waiting to respond to it after it happens. And if we don't get ourselves ready for life and the many curveballs that it throws at us, we'll give up or we'll just stand back. We won't be on the front lines. Whatever it may be, complacency can, can kick in. We can plateau. And it's a bad place to be. It's a horrible place to be. It's a spiritually dangerous place to be because of the possibility of wanting to give up, simply becoming, but starting out with being complacent. The complacency. The definition for this word is this, a feeling of contentment or self-satisfaction, especially when coupled with an unawareness of danger, trouble, or controversy. You see, so we have to be proactive because there's always something, so there's always trouble around the corner. There's always the enemy waiting to do something. Waiting to trip, trip you up, and we need to be ready. We need to be proactive, and we need to be doers and not just hearers, or we won't be ready. We will miscalculate. We will spiritually plateau. A plateau. What is a plateau? Well, as far as um, uh, as far as like a, a high plane, it's like a high plane, like a tableland, sort of like. Uh, It's flat terrain that is raised significantly above the surrounding areas. So in other words, like a, a hill that goes up and gradually it comes to a plateau. And it's, well, steady. It's a flat terrain. It could be defined as this as well when we're talking about plateauing. A state of little change, a little or no change when we plateau. Following a period of activity or progress. You're excited about the Lord. You're serving the Lord in a ministry or something, and then you plateau. You get to a point where you've arrived. You're comfortable. There's no more uphill. It's sort of like working out, I guess, when you think about your body. You work out your body, and the body responds. It becomes stronger, or it becomes, increases your muscle size, or your speed, whatever it is. Progress is seen. What often happens when someone sees the progress? They kind of slow down. They like, go, okay, this is good. This is what I wanted. This is enough. I don't need to be like the big old bodybuilder guy. I, I'm, I'm well enough. And they plateau, and they're satisfied. And if that's with a diet, you know, you can diet, you can look, do well, be well, but then if you don't maintain it, uh, you have some issues if you get comfortable and you don't change things up. But there's, change is quite a. a, a well, I'll get into that in just a minute. But spiritual satisfaction is a dangerous place when it has to do with complacency. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, that verse you pretty, all, pretty much all are familiar with, I'm, I'm sure, but complacent, self-plateauing. Plateauing. You know, just about a week ago, Lauren and my daughter Lauren and, and Zach, her husband, uh, invited us to, for a hike. And they're avid hikers. So that's what they do. <laughs> you know, the first time we went on a hike with them, it was, it was flat terrain. It was flat terrain. They were easy on me and Carol. So we get out there, and I'm like, okay, a hike, you know, how do I dress for this? What do I wear? Because I'm not a hiker. But we get there, and we start going, and we start the trail. And so I'm thinking, okay, here we go. And I, I kid you not, Lauren and Zach get on the trail, and they're like this. And they're walking fast. I'm thinking, what's the hurry? Do, are we on a timeline here or something? What's going on here? I'm not going to walk that fast for three, five miles. <laughs> That's crazy. That's what they do. And so it, it's just funny. But so they took us on this other hike, and they said, okay, we're going to go, and we're gonna, there's a view and everything. Okay, and we're, we start the hike. And then they start seeing the little hill. And go, oh, by the way, it's kind of uphill. And so, okay, well, we can do this. I uh, immediately, I I just I swallowed my pride and I started pacing myself. I said I want to I want to endure this this trail. And as we're going up, I'm taking my time in my nose, out my my mouth that I'm breathing. I'm trying to you know hold it together, controlling my breathing. And I'm a man of very few words on a hike because I I need all the energy I can can get. And um, as we're walking, Carol mentions she says something like. And he goes, you guys okay? And she says, yeah, I'm just waiting for it to plateau. And when she said that, I thought of my notes, and I thought, oh, that's kind of what I was going to mention about that, the desire to plateau. No more change. No more problems. No more stress. Just, I just want to be easy. This Christian life, I just want to get to a good spot where I coast. We got to a part where we kind of slowed down for a while to drink water, and they could tell, you know, we, we don't hike all the time, Carol turns around. She looks off the cliff area, or whatever. She sees Lauren's car and says, "Oh look, we could see Lauren's car. Why don't we just look at it for a while?" <laughs> I was down for that too, though, at that point. But um, and then there was this large rock formation, and this large rock formation that uh, um, I, I, you know, I just well, Zach kind of coerced me and got me in a climate, and I don't normally do heights, but I did. But you know, Psalm. Look at this. Psalm eighteen thirty-two. Thinking of the the, the stress or the, the the concern of going uphill or this walk in Christianity of it being like uphill and trials and what have you. Psalm eighteen thirty-two, beginning at verse thirty-two, says this: God's God arms me with strength and He makes my way perfect. He makes me a sure-footed. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. So we look at this, and, and you know, when you get to a point, if you're afraid or you're concerned of the walk is just filled with trials and another temptation or another trial, this is tough, is the Lord has our backs. You know what I love about this, that passage, is you have made a wide path for my feet to keep me from slipping. You know, narrow is the way, right, that leads to life. But you know, on that narrow way and the the life filled of trials or whatever it may be, he makes it wide for us when we're leaning on his understanding, when we're trusting him. So the Lord is our source of strength, our protection, and Looking at that passage in uh, James, of being, which, by the way, hey, James. I see you, brother. Haley. It's good to see you guys. We love you guys. Luke 8, beginning at verse 11. Jesus, well, look at this, and we see the, the picture of the hearers in this parable that Jesus gives. You see, let me read through it. It begins at verse 11. but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. And in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. You see, when these others, the picture of these that are hearing, there's no uh, fruit there's no fruit. They're not maturing. They're not bringing things to maturity because of a lot of reasons. The enemy, trials, pleasures of life. Look at how Matthew refers to this. In Matthew chapter 13, verse, beginning at verse 20, it says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and yet immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. On account of the word. When the rubber beats the road. When we surrender to Christ, but then we encounter things that, well, because of the word and the decisions we have to make, the life we have to live, then we see what we're made of. Then we see how surrendered we are. And the way Matthew puts it is tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word because you want to follow the word. You want to be obedient. You want to be a doer. You want to apply the word to your life but then things get in the way. The scriptures talk of a few people that didn't make it to the end. Demas, uh, Paul writes about in 2 Timothy 4.10. It says that he loved in the Greek, basically in the Greek it's socializing. He loved socializing with the world with this present world, more than he did follow, being a follower of Christ. So he was divided in his heart. There was Judas. In Judas 12, uh, Judas 12, Judas in 12, 6 of John, it says, he said this, meaning there, were, there was perfume being what he saw as wasted on, on, um, on uh, with being Jesus' feet. The lady was washing his feet with her hair. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And this guy was torn, had an issue with money as a thief. He, he, was, he was reaching into the, the money bag. And so here he was hearing Jesus over and over teach and preach. And at the same time, he couldn't continue because he had this temptation as a thief. And for us as Christians, what could take place that would cause us to be, well, um, to be choked out with the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life, or persecution and tribulation on account of the Word? What happens with a lot of Christians is we get emotionally driven or attached, having to draw a line as to following the Word or agreeing with the Word, Uh, much like the issue of abortion or homosexuality. And you find there's wavering taking place in the Christian's life when it's like, well, would God really, really allow someone to place themselves in hell because of homosexuality or abortion? I mean, is it, what about if it's this situation? Then abortion can be okay. And you often find the Christian wavering in these areas of, of, of issues with when they violate or they contradict the word of God is when there's a personal attachment. Someone they love may be homosexual. Their own child may be. And so they start to waver, and they start to bend, if you will, uh, their adherence to the word of God. And they become somewhat complacent, or that's where they plateau, and they begin to take a wrong turn. They, really, they set up camp, let's say, on that plateau. Spiritual complacency. Look at what some of the scriptures say about this. In Proverbs 1, verse 32, it reads this way in the in English Standard Version. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. That word complacency is the quietness, the ease, the prosperity. When things are good, they don't want to be disrupted. Life is good. My walk is good. I don't want to cause any waves. I just want to rest here at this plateau. In the NASB, it says, For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Now, this word simple, this word naive is pethy, and it means naive, foolish, open-minded. And you know what? Quite honestly, if you're too open-minded, your brains may fall out. (laughs) I read that today somewhere. I'm looking at being open-minded. We are open-minded when we look at the things of the world and what have you, but there's a place where people become too open-minded in the sense of embracing sin when it violates the Scriptures because of perhaps an emotional tie or someone they know is involved in whatever sin it is they're trying to understand. The New Century Version says it this way. Fools will die because they refuse to listen. They will be destroyed because they do not care. We need to be people who care about the word. We need to be people who care about being a doer. And I don't mean doing things. I mean being someone who, like Jesus said, hears his words and applies them to their life and becomes like the wise man and not the foolish man. The New uh, Living Translation says it this way. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. It's a dangerous place to, to get to. It's a dangerous place to be when we start to become complacent. We don't want disruption. We enjoy the nice Christian life that we have, this quietness, this ease, this prosperity. It's dangerous. Proverbs 7 Look at Proverbs 7, verses 7 and 8. Now, Proverbs 7 is speaking of, you see a father talking to his son, and they're looking out the window, and they see uh, this guy who's naive, and he's going to the way of, of the woman, the harlot. And it says, And I saw among the naive, and discerned among the youths, a young man, lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. You see, Get to a, we, someone gets to a point where they start justifying maybe having a relationship and having maybe uh, sex outside of marriage or not being married or taking things to the extreme. When you look at chapter 7, you see that, that she prepares a place for him and they, they exchange or they have their caresses all night, which is inappropriate handling of one another, if you will. And when we become to get complacent and we say, well, this is okay and this is okay, we're getting in a dangerous place and we want to guard ourselves. We need to avoid becoming complacent Christians because at some point you'll only be complacent and no longer a Christian. Look at Proverbs verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 15. And yes, it says, In the English Standard Version, it says, The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. The naive believes everything. Look at uh, the New Century Version. It says, Fools will believe anything, but the wise think about what they do. And the New Living Translation says, Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. We need to be people who are carefully considering our steps. Proactive, that we are counting the cost that we're not making miscalculations, and that when the calculations we make aren't based off of emotion because that gets us in lots of trouble. Proverbs 22, verse 3 reads this. The wise see danger ahead. They see danger ahead and avoid it, but fools keep going and get into trouble. So we see the wise and we see the fools and we see what complacency can do to someone. So we need to do something about this. We need to be proactive. We need to be, well, like someone who is going to the gym and plateaued. Let's say they're, they're happy with the results and no longer doing anything. Well, they're eventually going to go back to who they were, probably. So we want to get back into this spiritual gym. We want to get back into being doers, being changed, becoming a doer, becoming obedient or maintaining our obedience to the Lord, to his word. Proverbs 13, verse 4, says this. The soul soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. In the New Century Version, this very same verse says, the lazy will not get what they want, but those who work hard will. Now when we say work hard, we're talking about someone who is sincerely surrendered to the Lord. That could be hard work, surrendering to the Lord, because you're going to make a lot of decisions that are contrary to your flesh, contrary to maybe your friends or people that maybe shouldn't be your friends or people that you love that will be disrupted, your relationship disrupted because you want to be a follower of Christ. The lazy will not get what they want, but those who work hard will. Those who work hard in the sense of standing fast in their faith, standing fast in the word regardless of what the world thinks or says. The sluggard, means the lazy person, of course, craves. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, desires and wishes to have something. The other uh, is richly supplied, made fat, become prosperous. You see, we can crave all we want, but and a desire of, of, a, of, a, of a better life and, and a Christian household, but if we're not Surrendering, if we're not sincerely wanting to be a doer, really apply the word that we hear Jesus speak, then, you know, we're going to crave all you want. You're not going to get it unless we're surrendered to the Lord. So we need to be doers. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24. Paul is writing here, and it, I like what he writes because it, it shows us where we need to be. We need to get our spiritual training, and we get much of it from this passage. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, it says this. I'll read it through. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So the picture here is of constant training, continuous training, which is necessary for the athlete. The athlete can't train and then arrive and compete and maybe he wins his race and thinks, I'm good, I'll, I'll stay fast, I'll, I'll stay uh, whatever. He's not. He's not unless he continues to train. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. So we have to get in that spiritual gym to become doers. We need to get in that spiritual ring, if you will. And I say ring because when I look at this passage about speaking about discipline, hupo piazzo, it means this. It means to cause or to be be beaten black and blue, to cause bruises. So that's serious training. You can shadow box, and that's good. You can hit a bag. That's even better. But you can spar. And now you're taking a a shot. You're giving them, and you're getting them. And you're probably going to get bruised. You're probably going to get your bell rung. And in life, if we are not doers, well, being doers, (laughs) you're going to get your bell rung when you surrender to the Lord. That's just the way it is because of the world we're in. You're not going to fit in this world. You'll be challenged. You'll be mocked. And here we have the fact that we need to get into the gym. We need to work out. And again, we got to pace ourselves. You know, recently, Johnny has been uh, taking me to the gym when he goes to work out. Dad, want to go with me? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I go with him. And He works out. I do, too. So he sets me up on these machines, and I'm saying, well, be easy on my shoulder here, my back, and, you know, whatever. And so we get going, and he sets me up on a machine, and I go, okay, I, could, I used to do this, man. I could do this. And, and I put the weight, and he, I, he does it first. He goes like this. He puts the weight down there, and he does his things. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And then I get it, and I kind of put it up a little higher. But I don't put it up as high as I should. Because after all, I'm with my son. I don't want to, my son to see me, how weak I am. And, uh, but I can do this. I put it there, and he goes, oh, Dad. And he said something like, Dad, uh, you may want to reduce that weight. Like, well, I can, I can yeah, but, we're, but you're going to burn out. And it's true because of the amount of reps we were doing. I go, okay, so I put it a little lower, and I go, oh, sure, son, whatever you think, and I did it, and when I was at 15, I was so glad I lowered the weight, I paced myself, but I, and it was a workout, and it was tough, and I, you know, I was sore for the next week or two, but it pays off because it makes you stronger, right, and I also spend time with my son, I spend time with my son, we worked out, I'm going to maybe get a little healthier, and it's just like church, you know. It, you know, you, you get up early. Oh, I got to get up early on Sunday. But you do. And then you spend time with your brothers and sisters. You're edified. And then you're hearing the preaching of the word. And if you do, like Jesus said, you're hearing the word and not just being a hearer, but you apply it. You're like the wise person and you leave here better for it. And so it's worth it. So we see what needs to take place. We need to get in that spiritual gym. We need to look at 1 Corinthians 9 and apply these things and not just run in such a way that you may win. Not jog, sprint to win. But you got to work yourself, you got to work out, and you got to pace yourself. You can't just be this overnight. Otherwise, there's that chance of burning out or deciding to quit or what have you. So uh, we see this picture of constant training uh, to be beaten, to be black and blue, to cause bruises when it says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. There's a beating that takes place and it has to do specifically with parts of under the eyes or uh, receiving black eyes is what that passage means. And so, yeah, you know, you're going to get a black eye or two, but you know what? You're going to be better for it. You know, I think of this, I often think of the the analogy of boxing and it's beautiful to me for the Christian walk of uh, being in the, in the ring and, and, and having a fight and, and, and trying to win and trying not to get knocked out. You know, we've, I, the man's retreat. We've talked about this before, and the importance of taking an eight count versus doing things wrong and just getting knocked out and ending up with a ten count. The having the guys in your corner, three guys in your in your corner that you that will help you with the cuts, someone that will coach you properly and tell you what you're doing wrong and get you back in there, and not and, and not uh, and then the other guy who's. Uh, making sure you got your water and your ice and what have you. And that's how I come into church is like the same thing. Out there in in life, the ring, if you will, the spiritual ring of life, the fight that we have to go through, we need this. We need his word. We need each other. So overcoming these spiritual plateaus, it requires change. We do need to make changes in our lives because we can become stale in our Christian walks. We can become stagnant. Change is important. Change is good. It's, I mean, what's the old thing, right? No one likes change, right? You're, at, you're in the office. We do things right. Some, let's say a new guy comes in or a new manager, and he says, you know what? We're going to change things up. I've noticed this and this and that, and that's kind of whatever, but I think we're going to change this and start doing it this way and maybe increase productivity. And you're like, oh, man, another manager wants to change things, right? But we need to increase productivity because maybe you've plateaued. And so spiritually speaking, we need to change things up in our walks. And that involves many different things, and that you would be able to answer that better than I can. I can't tell you what needs to change in your life, but change is good. It, it's not easy, and it's not comfortable. But just like our health, you know, we want to be proactive about our health, and you may have to change your diet. You might have to start taking certain supplements or what have you, or you might have to go to the gym and work out and eat right, and it's no fun. But you'll benefit from it. So we need to make some changes. There's changes that need to be made. I don't know what they are for you, but the little things in our lives, in our walks. Maybe it's coming to church every week because you don't every week. You know, there's many things we can do. Um, You know, one practical thing, that a change in our life, because sometimes we get here, worship takes place and, okay, worship starts, worship finishes, and you sit down and you listen to the message. We can become hearers even during worship. That word that I mentioned, hearers, is that you're going and now you're just listening to someone sing. You know, they, the, the, those worship leaders are up here to lead us in worship. To lead us in worship so that we are worshiping, not watching them worship. We don't want to be hearers only. We want to change things up. And so maybe... Um, it's a matter of singing. Maybe you don't sing. Maybe you don't block things out during worship time because of whatever's on your heart and whatever's going on in your life. Maybe it's a matter of just singing louder, right? I know all of us can sing louder, and probably all of us should. I know I should, but I know what's-her-name, who sits in front of me, doesn't want me to sing louder. But, <laughs> but we know it, we, at the men's retreat, remember, guys, how we were singing up there, right? Was it because the women weren't around or what? I don't know, but it was great. <laughs> we, were, we were shouting, you know. And uh, and so it's, it, there's a beauty there. And, and, and there's a growth there. There's a change that takes place. And breaking out of our spiritual comfort zones. Raising your hands during worship. You know, in the Psalms, we see many times this, uh, the psalmist writing to sing a new song. Amen? To sing a new song. We see it in... Psalm 33, 96, 98, uh, 42, uh, 149. We see constantly to sing a new song. That speaks to me of change. And you know when you think of psalms, that when you look and read this through the psalms, and you see this book of music, of songs, there's many things that were going on through the psalmist's life that they're writing about. We're going through many things in our lives. We have our own psalms, if you will, that we have to sing to the Lord. And so change needs to take place. Life's going to change, and we need to uh, change with it in our growth in, with the Lord. We need to snap out of the things that are mediocre, that are routine, redundant. You think of the marriage relationship. A marriage relationship can become extremely stale. It could be like the, someone has said before, glorified roommates and, and it's just routine, and, and, and things aren't, aren't fresh anymore. The scriptures say to rejoice in Proverbs 5, 18, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Continual. The scriptures speak of in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. To continually love them, not just one big sacrifice and then you're done. 1 Peter three seven speaks to live with your wives in an understanding way. And we all change. Your wife is going to change, so you need to understand those changes as you live with each other. And so, with a marriage relationship, you... Definitely don't want to change for the worst, but there's change that needs to take place because you don't want that relationship to become stale and routine. Nor do we want our relationship with the Lord to become stale or routine or mechanical, if you will. Carol and I have been married 35 years. And June was 35. Uh, June what? No, June 25th. June 25th, it's 35 years. And you know what? Even to this day, I have my heartiest laughs with my wife. We have just incredible fun and uh, we confide in each other. I mean, nothing's changed there. That's been the same. Life has changed, but with the new things that take place in our lives, I don't hide them or put them on the shelf or no one has taken her place who I share my deepest hurts with, my decision making. It's my wife and it continues. Um, you know, and uh, she's still the one I flirt with. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, speaking of flirting with your wife, I mean, changing things up. How do you change things up? Well, flowers on a day that isn't expected. And you're changing things up, you're making it new, you're just bringing, introducing something like that. With the Lord, the same thing is that we are fresh, we are new, we are singing a, a new song. So, maintaining a healthy and growing relationship, marriage, and a relationship with the Lord, it does require consistency, of course, but change. And look at uh, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Here's what our, our prayer should be like, so that we don't fall into complacency. Psalm 119, verse 37 says, Turn my eyes away from looking at what is worthless and revive me in your ways. Revive. Hayah is the Hebrew word. To sustain life or to be quickened, to be restored to life or health. Revive. We need to be revived many times. You know, you have revivals that take place. My brother-in-law, who who's no longer with us, he's with the Lord now, he once mentioned it to me that, you know what, we all need our own personal revival. We all need that. We all need to be revived by the Lord. And, and he said that I thought, oh, yeah, I know what revivals are. And, and that's true. It's a personal relationship that I have with the Lord. And I need him to revive me. And, I, and like this passage that we see here, look at Psalm um, 19, 119, verse 25. It says, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Psalm 143 verse 11 says, For the for the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. Life goes on, trouble enters our lives. And we look to the Lord to be revived. That verse of 119 verse 37 that I mentioned just a while ago, says, turn my eyes away from looking at what is worthless and revive me in your ways. Worthless, which is shav, it means emptiness, uselessness, worthless conduct. So many times we need to take inventory of our lives, our spiritual lives, and find out what is there in my life that is worthless, that is emptiness, uh, uselessness, uh, worthless conduct. And taking a serious, sincere, before the Lord, spiritual inventory of, where am I wasting time? Where am I doing things that are worthless? That are maybe counterproductive? And, uh, and, and, and we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord to see what needs to be changed, what needs to be removed, what needs to be revived. Changes will definitely bring maturity. It will bring spiritual growth. James 1, verses 2 and 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect, mature, teleos, and complete, lacking in nothing. Colossians 1.28, speaking of maturity, it says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete or mature telios in Christ. And Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, all these worthless things that, are, that may be changing you or altering your walk or hindering your walk or stunting your spiritual growth. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and telios, perfect. That word tel- telios means to bring something to its end, to perfection, to maturity. Speaking of an adult, to full-grown adulthood. So let's do this. Let's take the time to sincerely before the Lord in order to avoid spiritual complacency, take a spiritual inventory of our lives. And only you can do that. Um, I mean, if you're married, you can probably ask your spouse and they'll have a list for you. <laughs> but sincerely, uh, taking a personal inventory of my life. And what is worthless? What is, is there any worthless conduct in my life? So we need to take that inventory, identify those changes, things that may need to change or Be added, or whatever it may be, and become a doer. Make those changes. Apply them to your life. Like Jesus said, how you will be like the wise man if you hear what his words are and you apply them. You'll be like the wise man. So, last few verses is we have the ability. We have the ability to be able to make these changes, to be able to uh, become doers and to um, overcome uh, to get out of these spiritual plateaus, complacency, and continue to move onward and upward. If you're thinking of the hike, I can't get that hike out of my mind because it, <laughs> it was pretty tough. But it was, it was beautiful because it was worth it. The beautiful sunset, and again, time with my daughter and my son in law. Anyway, 2 Timothy 1 7 says this For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or delay, which is fearfulness, cowardice but of power and love and discipline. And that word power, dunamis, that Joe often mentions, of the word we get dynamite from, this power, this strength, means ability. So for God has given us, not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, the strength. He's given us the ability, and love and discipline. Love, of course, agape, is the word used there, unconditional love. And it says of love and discipline, and that is mas And it means self-control, moderation. You see, we have it there for us, for the taking, or I should say, for the receiving from the Lord, his strength, his might. Proverbs 10.4 says this. And let me wrap it up with a, just a couple more verses here. Proverbs 10.4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the di- diligent Makes rich. Now, the negligent, which is remiyah, is in the Hebrew. Remiyah means lackness, slackness, slacking, deceit. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 10.4 in the New Century Version says it this way. Here's that word again. A lazy person will end up poor, but a hard worker will become rich. And when we're talking, you you know, okay, naturally speaking, yeah, the guy who doesn't do much isn't going to get paid, but the guy who works really hard will be paid. And we see that, obviously, that natural law there. But also, spiritually speaking, the lazy, the spiritually lazy person can crave and desire all he wants, but he won't get it. He won't have the spiritual growth he desires unless he's a doer. So, The lazy person will end up poor, but the hard worker will become rich. And in 2 Corinthians 8 9, this last verse, and I I believe I added it up there uh, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, you know, I'm reading this, and I was reading it today, and I thought, wow, this is its own study right here. But for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, in other words, in all his glory, but then for your sake, for me, for me, he became poor. For me, he did that. For you, he did this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. I don't believe it was the Lord's heart of saying, oh man, I got to do this. I think he loves us. And he willfully did this for us. For your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And what jumps out at me here is might. Might. Because there's a choice to be made. There's a decision to be made for Christ or against Him. He became poor so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. He gave Himself on the cross for us. So there's a beautiful passage, there's a beautiful message here when we see that what He's done for us, for our sakes, He did this. And whether you become a doer or a hearer only is your choice. You might become rich. Rich as in partaking of glory, partaking of heaven. And so when we see this, how can we not want to be doers? How can, I not, how can I listen to his words and not apply them to my life? I'll tell you how. Because I'm maybe my own God. And I want to do what I want to do. That's easy. There's a lot of people doing that in this world. And it's heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking. And we were there before, too, until we chose Christ until we surrendered. And now we are rich and we will share and be in glory. So my prayer is this, if there's anyone here that hasn't decided for Christ, that isn't a doer, but is a, merely a hearer, this isn't to point you out, this isn't to minimize or, or belittle you, it's, it's rather to, to help you, to call you to understand his love for you. His love is so great, for your sake, he became poor so that you can be rich. And so my prayer is that no one would leave here without Christ. No one would leave here not being a doer, as Jesus said, hearing his words and applying them to our lives. Amen? Let's let's bow our hearts together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Your love is amazing. Your love, as the scriptures say, is outside of this world. The scriptures speak of your son, Jesus Christ. And who is this? As if he came, what, where does he come from? As if out of this world, which he is. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your provision. And Lord, I pray today that we would all, in the hearing of your word, would be as Jesus referred to us as as wise people, that we would be the wise man, we would be the wise person and apply it to our lives. Lord, guard us from complacency, spiritual complacency. Lord, if any of us here have recognized areas in our lives where we've plateaued spiritually, or we're complacent, we don't want to rock the boat, we don't want problems, Lord, I pray that you you would convict us, that you would Help us, Lord, to know the things that we need to grow in, the things we need to change, the worthless things that we need to remove from our lives so that we can continue to be doers. Lord, I pray that you would continue to move in our lives, move in our hearts, and for anyone here that is on the fence, Lord, I pray that you would just give them a spiritual nudge and that they would make a decision for your son, Jesus Christ, today. Lord, help us to help uh, one another here to continue to edify each other through your word, through your love. Lord, we just pray for your blessings in this place, in this world. Lord, may we not just be here, but we would be about your business. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.